It's great to be with you guys. If you guys were here last week, you were here to hear me announce that after 10 years of weekly services, pretty much in this room every Thursday for 10 years, that March 30 is going to be our last. I hope you guys can be there for it. It's going to be an amazing time of celebration. Let me assure you that nothing's wrong, nothing happened. It's just time for new beginnings and new seasons. About a year ago, we just felt like there's a great sense of completion in what we've been pursuing after here in this place, and that it was time for something new to begin. And so many of us, we're still going to be around. I'm sure there's things going to start. People are still going to form and gather, but the deepest sense and clarity in my heart is that I want us to be people chasing things that have never been done before. The most in-touch feeling I have right now in my life is to do things that have never been done before. But if you're really authentically going to do that, you have to stop doing the things that have always been done. You won't do the things that have never been done before while doing the things that have always been done every week. And having a weekly service is good. Having this amazing ministry, I mean, like, we're experiencing some of the greatest times in our 10 years, and it's good, but good is oftentimes the enemy of best. I don't know about you, but I want God's best. This has been an amazing time, but I want God's best, and that's what we're after. And to pursue God's best, it requires you to live a lifestyle that's not normal. C.S. Lewis has the perfect quote for what it means to pursue God's best. It says that we're not necessarily doubting that God will do his best for us or wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Inside that quote is the admission that God's best is not always easy, that God's best isn't always comfortable. But we all would stay here and look forward and say, yes, I want God's best for my life. But deep down inside, we feel it's a little bit scary. Because while we want God's best, we're afraid of what that might mean for our lives. And so looking back on 10 years, I feel that we actually had God's best. It wasn't easy. Amen, Mr. Waterbury? And it wasn't comfortable for those who've ever met Eric Waterbury. So tonight's message is actually about Getting you into God's best for your own life. And then it won't be easy and it won't be comfortable. And you can live a good Christian life. That's totally fine. You can live a life that's about sin management. You can live a life about church attendance, about giving metrics. You can live a life about going to the right place at the right time. But I'm after God's best. And if you're going to pursue after God's best, you need to adopt a few principles. I'm only going to get through a few of them tonight. Are you ready? Number one, if you want God's best for your life, if you really want to seek after the highest and the best calling that God has for your life, you need to step out. It's comfortable being here in this room and being in a place that is predictable, but we need to step out. And that sounds kind of cliche. We probably heard that all the time, like, big word there, pal. You know, I know that to say step out doesn't mean much, but here is what my definition of stepping out means. It's not just to get you guys motivated and say step out, never define it. Here's what it is. Stepping out means that you make a decision that disrupts what is normal. So many people call you to step out, but it's actually just being normal. 
I'm calling you to step out to disrupt what is normal. What's normal for your life, what's normal for your relationships, for your career, for your faith, your friends, your community, your church, the person in the attendant window of fast food. Disrupt what is normal. You don't need to know anything else about stepping out just besides the fact that you disrupted what would have been had I not showed up. You can look at situations and say, this is what it always has been, this is what it will always be, but now I'm on the scene, what do I get to say about it? And in those times, you get to define what stepping out means. But the hallmark of stepping out means that you aren't comfortable. It also means you probably will ruffle feathers. People should have strong opinions about your life. Whether they're good or whether they're bad. People should have strong opinions about your life. If no one has any strong opinion of your life or what you're doing, you probably aren't doing that much. It requires that we get uncomfortable. When was the last time you felt uncomfortable by something you did that was out of normal for you, that like, was like an act of courage for you, like this feels awkward, this feels uncomfortable, this feels like not me, like I don't know if I should do this. When was the last time you felt that? If you can't remember a time, I would suggest that you live a very small and safe life. If that offends you, then come back after March 30. But come until then. I'm teasing. Here's another way you can define it. The measure in which you're stepping out, does your life look exactly the same as it did 24 months ago? If your life looks exactly the same as it did 24 months ago, you might live a very small and safe life. Stepping out, dreaming big, ruffling feathers, taking chances, even trying and failing are the basic foundational kingdom expectations for your life. Acts 2, I'm sorry, James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if not accompanied with action, is dead. See, stepping out is the very thing that marks you for the kingdom, that you aren't normal, that you aren't safe. Stepping out is the attribute that makes your your faith what it is. I'll go so far as to say stepping out is actually the only way we'll ever experience God's best for our lives. Stepping out is the only way you'll ever experience God's best for your life. Let me take it a little bit further than that, is that you cannot experience God's best if you refuse to step out of your comfort zone. Miracles, breakthrough, they happen not in the moments where it's predictable and safe, they happen in the moments where it's filled with excruciating terror and courage. To put it in a biblical analogy, you know, Peter stepped out on the water walking towards Jesus. And if you want to walk on water, you'll have to get out of the boat. So many people, they want to walk on water, but they don't have the courage to actually get out of the boat. And that's what made Peter so powerful is he betrayed our Lord. But yet Jesus looked out to him and says, I'm going to build my church upon you. 
The greatest failure maybe in all the Bible, Jesus looks at him and says, upon you, I'm going to build my rock. Why? Because he has the attribute that says, I step out. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is actually Joshua. I love that Shadi shared that. It's Joshua 1.3. It says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. This is God speaking to Joshua after Moses died. Saying to Joshua, every place you step your foot, I will give you the land. What does that mean? It means the places that you refuse to go, you won't take that land. That you will never possess the territory in places you refuse to go. Don't tell me what you want if you're not willing to get there. I don't have big muscles, but I don't go to the gym. Can I complain? Like, don't complain about the work you didn't put in. (laughs) So the things that you want in your life, God's faithful in his promises of reaping and sowing. He's, He's so generous with us, but it's time that we actually start wandering in the kingdom to say, like, life is bigger than just attending a place and listening to some guy who's rather good looking talk to you for a message. This isn't what you guys are about. What you do outside there is far more important than what you do here and here in this place. But that you will only take possession of the territory that you place your foot. The second thing they need to know if you want to develop God's best in your life is to not delay. The very first is stepping out. The very second thing is to not delay. Do not delay. You can actually miss God's best for your life if you wait too long. Some people like to say, like, it's impossible to come against the promises of God. Well, I don't know what life you're living. I've missed plenty of them. I've missed plenty of God's promises because I didn't act. I didn't step out and I didn't do it in the time. What I've learned about my own personal breakthroughs of my life is that there's never a convenient time to have your breakthrough. You know, like I look into my calendar, like, oh, when's a really good time to like get rid of this in my life? Or when's a really good time to develop a spine in my life? Like, there's never a convenient time to become who God has designed you to be. It doesn't like fit in your schedule between Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon. Meaning there's never a convenient time to take action. It'll never be accommodating. It'll never think about what other commitments you have. It'll never think about how busy school is or how crazy work is or like my family. Like your breakthrough doesn't care about all those things that are going. It takes you to say, this can't wait. I pursue this because this is what I need at this moment right now. And so if you are waiting for the perfect time to make a change in your life, I'm here to tell you that perfect time will never come. It's one thing to be strategic. I get being strategic and figuring out what is the most strategic time to make these decisions. But it's another thing to delay the things of God for a time that will never come. Many of us will make expectations of, I'll do this when. But we all know that those times are never going to come. And so we lie to ourselves. And in this, 
as we discover that delay is the most subtle form of self-sabotage. Delay is the most subtle form of self-sabotage. If you want to ruin your life, there's a lot of ways to do that. But one of the most subtle ways you can do it is take every meaningful decision and put it off and put it off. Every opportunity, just put it off and put it off some more and put it off some more until all of life has made its decisions for you and you had no voice in any of it. Not only will a perfect time never come. If you're thinking about something here tonight that God is calling you for, that you've been meaning to do, know that the perfect time will never come. And also that the passage of time will eliminate possibilities. I see this all the time. That we take things that we know we ought to do and we put handcuffs on them for things and times and places where we might have enough time, we might have enough money, we might have enough security, enough relationships, I've dated enough people. We, like, we put all these restrictions on our destiny. And God's like, why are you making this so complicated? I've got some people in my life, it's like, bro, you've been dating this woman for like four decades. What are you waiting for, you know? It's like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, and like people... You know, any meaningful decision of their life, they have excuse and excuse and excuse. Oh, money. Well, then career and then promotion and then job location, then her career and then her money and job. Like, you'll never run out of excuses for not to do something. Whatever you fear, whatever intimidates you, you will never run out of excuses to talk yourself out of it. The Bible talks about faith, about how faith is what moves mountains. And Jesus oftentimes like looks at people like, why their breakthrough didn't happen? And we look at the lack of faith in the Bible. How do you define lack of faith? Do you know what lack of faith looks like? It looks like someone who's got a lot of excuses. If you want to know what lack of faith looks like, it looks like someone with a lot of excuses, always having a reason for why it's not right now and why this is not the time. If you hear one thing tonight, it's this is that you have a responsibility to do something with the promises of God for your life. It's in your hands. You have a responsibility for the great things that God has promised you. He's given you the kingdom. He's like, I don't have anything else to give you. It's like, I've given you everything. And we have a responsibility to walk in the promises of God. And if we don't fulfill them, if we don't walk in it, if we don't take hold of it, it's not his problem. It's ours. And if, that is the, if, if that's the truth, if we've been given everything in the kingdom, it means that we cannot hold God responsible for what didn't happen in our lives. I have some friends, they're bitter Christians. Whew. They're so bitter about what didn't happen in their life. And I get it that I, I missed opportunities. I missed times. Look, I had a Peter moment in my life where I was standing before a crowd of guys. This is, I'm like 18 years old. And I have like this Jesus fish sticker on my dirt bike. And these guys are like, hey, what's with that? You know, Jesus' picture in Phil 413, which is a Bible verse. 
And see, I, I used to think that the greatest expression of my faith was a bumper sticker. It's like, if they really want to know about Jesus, they'll ask me. Which is really a way of saying, like, I'm too embarrassed to use my mouth. Until someone asked me about the bumper sticker. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, just something I was raised with. I don't know, like, you know, grew up in a religious home, church. It just looked cool on there, you know. And a guy authentically, no, no, like, I've actually been wondering about, like, this whole Jesus thing. Tell me about it. Ah, I'm not here, man. How about that jump out there? Like, really? Like, no, I'm, like, I'm being honest. He's, like, trying to tell me. I'm not, I'm not goading you into a trick. I'm like, ah, no, I'll, whatever, man. Come on. Standing around all these ever guys. A week later, I'm supposed to go ride a race with him. I just feel probably one of the first calls of the Holy Spirit in my life that's like a big check. You know, like, I'm not supposed to do this. It's like it made no sense for me. It's like this is my passion to go race dirt bikes and quads with all my best friends. This big race. We're all ready. I had sponsorships. I'm like, I just shouldn't go. And he comes up short and gets paralyzed in an accident from the waist down. And I went to him, and I'm like, what failed me then can, can never fail me again. I sat there in, in his hospital room holding his hand. I'm like, I just told my whole faith. Just like, I'm so, I was embarrassed by it. I don't know why, but I'll never be embarrassed about my faith again. And that's where the original idea, like, for this whole epic life, that's where, like, the name had its original foundation in my heart is that actually we should be our lives should give people something that, that say, I want that. Like, give me a reason for why that works for you. Like, give me, like, I want what you have. And I just was looking around and just embarrassed about, like, me and what was being produced in me. And it's like, there's got to be a better way for this. And so we need to make decisive and actionable choices for our life about how time is not on our side. Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. We're not guaranteed anything. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Here's a famous quote that might be familiar to you. It says, live every day like it's your last. And one day you'll be right. We need to value the urgency of time to know that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and that your decisions in this place are valuable. Are you guys okay? Can I do one more? I know we're running late tonight. So why don't many of us step out? And why don't we step out now? Like if this is like the biblical truth and the model and it's so clear and easy, why don't we just do it? It's because we don't feel equipped. We don't feel like we're capable. We don't feel like we're qualified. We don't feel like we're able. And so the third for you tonight is that the calling is the equipping. The calling is the equipping. If you feel completely capable for what you're doing, then it's the wrong calling. If you feel completely capable and self-sufficient in what you are doing, it's the wrong calling. Why? It's because it's too small. He's not the God of like everything within your own ability. 
He's the God of impossible. He's the God of more than what you can expect. He's the God of beyond our expectations. He's the God of more than I could ask or imagine. Not the God of your resume, what you've already done. God isn't interested in calling you to things that don't require him. God is not interested in calling you to things that don't require him. We're called to trust in God. And by its very definition, the very concept of trusting in God means that it's bigger than our own ability. I don't pray for God's help to eat a burrito. Do you? We're called to do things that are greater than our ability because it extends past our capacity. I loved Ryan's analogy of how it extends past our own hand is that what makes us powerful in the kingdom is not that we do what we're capable of doing, is that we do things that we're not capable of doing. I remember like the disciples as they go into the churches and, and they're speaking eloquently and the scriptures talk about this and these guys are like scratching their heads and they're like, these guys don't know anything but they're talking like they do. And they knew they had been with Jesus, but it said that they were unskilled and untrained. But yet what made their mark is that who they lived extended beyond their capacity and their ability to be just them. When you are inside God's best, you will always have this sense of feeling about you that you're like not prepared. If you feel like, oh, I'm perfectly prepared and this this is God's best for me. Like it's not the truth. The definition of being in God's best is where you actually feel a little bit over your head. If you don't feel a little bit over your head, if you don't feel like you're kind of out kicking your yardage, if you don't feel like you're biting off more than you can chew, then you are actually defining your future according to what you already know you can do. And you're going to find yourself in the same exact spot year after year, decade after decade. What makes you grow is their ability to extend. Listen, I have a software company. I don't know how to program. How does that happen? It boggles my mind. Every single day, our software processes a million dollars for other people. And people like ask me, like, how does it go? I don't know. It's, you know. Stuff, servers, ones and zeros. Here's the thing is, is I started doing logos. It's like, do a logo that doesn't stink. Okay, I can try and do that. You know, can, can you turn that logo to a business card? Uh, yeah, sure. I don't know. Do this. Oh, there you go. Oh, no. Am I done? Hey, can you turn that into a catalog or brochure? Yeah, of course, of course. I don't know. You know, just, I've been doing that thing for like 20 years. It turned into, can you do a website? Sure. I have no idea how to do this. I tell you what. I sat in a boardroom with this big company in Houston, Texas, and they, this is when text messaging was like brand new, and we wanted to like, there's gonna be a crowd of like 200,000 people, and I'm like, you know what we should do is we should have people text in their zip code and return the closest church to them. And they're like, that's a great idea. Do you know how to do it? It's like, totally. I'll figure it out. 
is what I said inside. And they're like, how much does it cost? I was like, $26,000. They're like, we'll do it. I'm like, oh. I go back. How to do text messaging and delivery. I think we charged them $26,000. It cost me $25,000 to have another company help me do it. But in that, I learned so much. I learned, I developed this habit of always like pursuing my potential, not my limitation. Because if you always deliver according to your limitation, you never grow. And so part of the kingdom nature, I'm not talking about being irresponsible. Don't lie to people. It's okay to say, yeah, I got this. Maybe you don't know the details yet. I got it. I don't know how yet, but I'm going to get it. And so that from websites to email service, all sorts of stuff, and now we're like transaction process. I got more useless terms and knowledge than you guys could ever imagine. But it's all been from this little step of, of extending and living life not to what I only know and nothing beyond what I know, but actually going beyond my capability to what my potential is. And even here before you guys, I still look at this like, why do people show up? I have no seminary degree. I feel totally unprepared and ill-equipped to even talk to you guys about this stuff. It's like, maybe you should go to seminary. Maybe you should like really know how to do it. I'm getting head shakes <laughs> from friends. But you know what? Inside, and I'm not going to, for the very reason that I want my life to be a living promise that if I can do it, certainly you can. That the calling's the equipping, not a sheet of paper with a little star on it that'll cost you $70,000 to get. And just because you go to seminary, there's nothing wrong with seminary, anybody here? There's, just because you go to seminary does not mean you're called to the kingdom to preach and teach. And just because I don't have a seminary degree doesn't mean I'm not called to it either. God is the one who calls, not an institution, not a degree. He does. And so if you don't feel adequate for what you are feeling in your life, if you feel like I'm extending what I think is even possible, awesome. You know why? Because God loves an upset story. The Bible is filled with just upset stories, start to finish. You won't find a single person who was great in stature and did everything all by himself and was very safe. We find these dramatic upset stories everywhere in the Bible. God's favorite thing is to confound the wise, is to prove the critics wrong, to prove the haters wrong, if you will, right? Habakkuk 1.5, it says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Your greatest mountain is God's greatest opportunity to pull an upset story in your life. He's not afraid of it. You might be, but he's not. And so pursue your kingdom calling according to your potential, not to your limitation. Because when we feel we get called, the very first thing that we do is we begin to talk God out of why he's wrong. This is also a biblical principle. Moses, two times in Exodus 4 and 6, says, God, send someone else. I can't speak very well. He's like, no, I want you to lead the nation, but find someone who can speak more eloquently than me. 
Do you know the Apostle Paul had a very similar story? I found this out just this week. That scholars believe that the Apostle Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament, was actually believed to possibly have a speech impediment. It's really interesting. I had no idea. And he quotes what people would say about him in 2 Corinthians 10 that it says that people would say about him that his letters are weighty and strong, but that his presence is unimpressive and his speaking is contemptible. Contemptible. Anybody know what that means? It means to be pitied or embarrassed. What people said about Paul is like, when he writes a letter, he writes a good letter. But if he opens his mouth, whoo, I feel bad for the dude. That's a weird combination. It doesn't make any sense. And when we think about it, Paul talks about a flesh, a thorn in his flesh. One of the great theological debates, Paul says, I have this thorn in my flesh and I've asked God three times to remove it. You guys know what I'm talking about? I actually think it's this. Because it says it's a messenger of Satan to torment him to keep him from being conceited. Right? It's not an affliction like, it's not a, a, an ail, like a, a, a broken part of his body. Like it, it's, it's something that is prohibiting him from feeling good about himself. When it talks about contempt of his public speaking, it makes sense that he's embarrassed. Asking God three times, fix it. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that my salvation is sufficient for you. It means grace is an empowerment. It means what I've empowered you to do is greater than whatever thing is hindering you, no matter how embarrassing it is. But yet we're so quick to disqualify ourselves from the kingdom. I know there's stories all over this place. I'm going to end with this, is that many of us have disqualified ourselves from the things of God based on what we've done, where we've been, what we're struggling with, what we think. And it's this toxic ingredient into the kingdom that you might actually look at your life and think that there's some tragic flaw about you. Like the kingdom of God and people who are great are awesome, but I have this thing. Or I did that, or I have this past, and so therefore... I can't participate in the kingdom. And his response to you is the same as that. Who he is and what he's done in you is always greater than your past. It's always greater than your future. And from that position, Paul took his failures and his shortcomings. Let let me tell you, the apostle Paul, he oversaw Christians dying, being killed and stoned in front of him. He made sure that people would not hear the gospel and in fact he would kill those who are spreading it. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. And obviously he had many issues, embarrassing issues that had his reputation as not a good speaker. But yet all those things he wrote one third of the New Testament because he aligned his power, his strength, his identity according to what God said about him, not what man said about him. And so Paul had to say, I trust what he says, not what those guys say. And you'll never attain something that you've declared yourself unqualified for. 
If you want to speak lies of yourself like, I'll never do this, I'll never do that, you know, you won't. It's the truth. You won't be suddenly surprised. So let God rule in you what is possible. God's not afraid of who you are. God's not ashamed of who you are. Are you? Are you more ashamed of you than anybody else? But who God has made you to be in his power in you is what should define our calling. It should define how we step out. The calling is the equipping. So be encouraged tonight to live a life that steps out, that doesn't delay, and to know that your calling is the equipping for your life. I love you guys. So tonight at Fire, if you guys want to stand with me, our prayer team could come forward. A lot of times we'll hear uh, testimonies like this, sermons like this, and little things go off in our mind, and we actually come away from it with, I'm unqualified. And so we want to pray for you tonight. If there's anything that we can share with you to bring you freedom from anything that's holding you back, we would love to do that. Some of you actually need friends more than you need prayer. So we're going to hang out in the back and talk and uh, share. And so whichever one you need, you go for what you need tonight, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah.